You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thank you as always for joining us. A lot going on this week, uh, not only here in Washington, D.C., in the political world as it relates to government corruption, and uh, a lot going on in some of these cases tied uh, to the uh, uh, Biden Democrat effort to jail their political opponents. Uh, but Judicial Watch is getting more information about a big scandal or something that is very much in the public uh, uh, interest these days, which is the death of Obama uh, uh, of Obama's family's Obama's personal chef up in Massachusetts. Uh, it's been months. We've got some interesting information there. Uh, new lawsuit on social media censorship. New lawsuit on the crazed transgender extremism that has the CDC promoting men breastfeeding. And a new lawsuit on Biden's war on Hungary, which I guess is too, too conservative for the transnational left that's guiding the Biden administration. Uh, but first up is the uh, news uh, of the week that uh, House Speaker Jordan, can't, or speak, <laughs> put this way, the Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan's candidacy for the speakership is dead. Uh, the Republicans who had put him up and made him speaker designee have uh, decided to uh, secretly uh, vote against him. So he no longer is a speaker designee. He had three votes that he pursued, uh, none of which, uh, um, none of which in which he prevailed. And so uh, now it's up for grabs again. There could be as many as eight people running for speakership. Again, I'm not running for House Speaker, although they will do worse, I'm sure, uh, especially given the current scenario. But I, I just want to kind of highlight the issues again for you because you're not going to really get a clear analysis, in my view, uh, from many in the media. Remember, Speaker McCarthy, or the former Speaker McCarthy, is not Speaker anymore because twice he worked with the liberal left in Congress in the House uh, to give President uh, Biden essentially um, an unlimited credit card in terms of a debt ceiling back in the middle of the year. And then just a few weeks ago, he granted uh, the Biden administration its wish list of getting full funding without any restrictions, at least for the next several weeks, uh, with a continuing resolution that he, again, worked with the Democratic left in the House to get passed. So as a result, he lost support for the speakership because he was enabling uh, and serving as uh, uh, someone who was helping Joe Biden uh, spend as much money as he's spending in all the horrible ways that many Republicans thought he was spending. And so, uh, Long story short, Jim Jordan becomes the speaker designee after uh, a few weeks of back and forth. But the people who support Jim, uh, Kevin McCarthy or that approach to governance uh, didn't want him to be speaker. Uh, so it was a rejection, not necessarily of, jo of Jim Jordan personally, but of what he is perceived to represent, which is an aggressive approach to governance in terms of protecting the public interests uh, from abuse by the federal government, stopping funding of 
the border invasion, the efforts to jail Trump, the censorship, you name it. And uh, the establishment Republican old guard didn't really want that. Now, they'll say something differently, but, you know, that's my analysis. Now, uh, as I've been telling you that you need repeatedly and often to be calling your members of Congress to share your views about who should the Senate, who should be the next Speaker of the House and what their priorities should be. And I didn't understand the process over the last week with Jim Jordan. I, you know, Jim Jordan, we've known for years here at Judicial Watch, but, uh, you know, I think he could have pressed a better case for speakership I, you know, to the public, but he didn't. And of course, those who opposed him really hated the fact that members of the public were communicating their views on the issue with them. Now, some of them were saying they were getting threats and such, and obviously that's not right. No one supports sending anyone death threats. It's illegal. But that's not what the concern was initially. The concern was they were getting too much pressure and bullying because the American people were sharing their views as to what should be happening up on Capitol Hill, and they don't want you to participate. And so when you hear about secret meetings where they select who the speaker is going to be, or secret meetings where the speaker, now next week they're going to have another secret meeting where those who want to be speaker make their pitch. Now, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I prefer these things to be public. And uh, it's now been three weeks. I've never bought into the kind of the sky is falling approach of not having a speaker in the House being limited in its activities as a result. But it's been a long time, and it seems to me uh, if, if the House were, uh, the House leadership or the House Republicans, uh, they need to take this more seriously and just get a speaker nominated or put in place because there's a, there's a lot going on. The stability of the government, in part, is being undermined in a way that I don't think advances uh, constitutional government. So they really need to get their act together. Now, obviously, I want the most conservative speaker possible, right? Uh, but, we st but we have to have a government that functions. And so uh, w I don't understand why they've gone home for the weekend. They're, they're going to go home for a weekend. They're going to have another meeting on Monday. And at this rate, I don't think we'll have a speaker at the end of the week. Maybe we will. But at the end of next week, maybe we will. But I, I just don't buy into uh, the whole analysis of the case that removing McCarthy was a, the wrong thing to do. The wrong thing to do is to uh, cater and kowtow to those who want to spend your money on government corruption and abuse. And if you object to it, you're, you know, you're an extremist. That's what I object to. And so when looking to see who should be next speaker, you should share your views. And you know, I would just ask you to consider that uh, we're in a crisis. Uh, the federal government is trying to jail uh, its political enemies, the Biden administration. Uh, they're funding an invasion. They're using tax money now to fund terrorists in the Middle East through humanitarian assistance, right? And uh, you know, all sorts of abuses. So what next? Call your, call 
the House of Representatives, your senator, your congressman, 202-225-3121, 202-225-3121. And, uh, you know, let's get it done. Let's get, in my view, we should have the most conservative speaker possible uh, at leading. Uh, but uh, we, we need to get the government going again, not in the sense that uh, the left thinks it should be going, but in the sense that we have to have an operational House of Representatives uh, so that it can do some basic work uh, beyond holding a hearing now and then. Because there's a real crisis here, and uh, it's continuing in Fulton County, Georgia. It's continuing in New York City with President Trump and here in Washington, D.C., and, and the developments have been as follows. In Washington, D.C., uh, Judge Chutkin, uh, who's the judge overseeing the president's, um, the Biden administration's effort to jail Trump for disputing the, the 2020 election, uh, issued a gag order that is a brazen attack on the First Amendment rights of President Trump, effectively places Judge Chutkin in control of of uh, President Trump's campaign in terms of managing potentially what's said and is, is, is really just straightforward election interference. And President Trump, in my view, has a right, a First Amendment right, as a citizen, obviously as a candidate for the president, to criticize the Justice Department, criticize Jack Smith, yes, criticize the courts, criticize witnesses who are politicians running against him in the case of Mike Pence, criticize public officials and former officials like Mark Milley, the terrible former chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff. But Judge Shushkin says no, he doesn't have those rights and he has to police himself and if he doesn't police himself, Judge Shushkin ultimately can hold him in contempt, throw him in jail. Now, Judge uh, Trump's lawyers appealed that order that is never, that's really unprecedented in terms of interference in the elections. And we'll see what happens. But in the meantime, up in New York, there was another gag order that's already been filed against Trump in that crazy case where uh, Letitia James, the anti-Trump Democratic prosecutor, is trying to destroy Trump's businesses. And uh, the judge in that case was angry that Trump had posted something about a staffer on the court. So he issued a gag order ordering Trump to take that down, and he did. Well, evidently, it was still up on his campaign website. And the judge decided, obviously, that Trump wasn't personally responsible for that oversight. But the judge said, you know, I'm going to, I don't care, I'm going to fine you $5,000, and he did. And then I just, I just saw, just before I came on, he said, I'm going to do something even more severe, maybe even throw him in jail if there are any intentional or unintentional violations of my order. So that sounds like a kangaroo court to me, doesn't it, to you? So you have these, this unprecedented interference by the judiciary in our elections. And of course, judici the judiciaries now say, well, they don't want to be criticized. Well, if judges are participating in our political processes by running and managing a presidential election, they're now political players. And of course they should be criticized in a way previously they would otherwise wouldn't be criticized. And to tell American citizens they can't criticize them, to me is an affront 
to free speech and the First Amendment. And no, you don't lose all your First Amendment rights because you're a defendant or you're in a court. And the idea that the president, uh, the, the, the number one candidate for president of the United States can't criticize the crazed special prosecutor who I know is running an unethical operation because I saw it firsthand without fear of being thrown in jail by an Obama judge is an abomination unto the law. So I hope uh, the upper courts, the appellate court here in the District of Columbia or the Supreme Court specifically does something about it. I don't know, though. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think Trump... I, I mean, the problem is our, our judicial system has been failing to protect Trump from these abuses to date. I mean, largely failing. And, um, I mean, for instance, there was a ruling by the Fifth Circuit. There was that, you may recall, uh, that case that had um, resulted in restrictions on the Biden administration's ability to censor people. That was just issued a week or two ago. Well, the Supreme Court overturned that while they consider it. And that was uh, over the objections of three of the conservatives and those who wanted to allow the government to censor Americans in the meantime include Chief Justice Roberts, Justice Kavanaugh, and Justice uh, Amy Comey Barrett. The Trump appointees, two of them are Trump appointees. You know, who think it's okay, evidently, for, you know, give the benefit of the doubt to the Biden administration to censor Americans. And again, this goes back to what's happening in Congress. Congress hasn't done anything to cut off that censorship yet. So there's going to be a continuing resolution coming up in a few weeks, right? Not everything's going to be ready. They're going to have to pass another one, probably, unless otherwise the government or parts of the government will shut down. And the position of, you know, the status quo politician types here in Washington, D.C., including many Republicans, is just keep on keeping on. Just fund it all. We're not going to restrict anything in exchange for continuing resolution. And there are people like me who suggest modestly and humbly that they should leverage this to ensure that the American people's civil rights are protected and not abused that Trump isn't being put in jail and railroaded by the Biden administration in a way never seen before in American history. And down in Georgia, again, uh, we, we had bad days for justice as well. Fulton County, Georgia, they got two key figures to uh, plead guilty uh, to those charges that they brought, kind of even more insane versions of the charges Jack Smith are, is bringing up here in Washington, D.C. Uh, Sidney Powell, our friend, uh, pled guilty to misdemeanor. Kenneth Cheeseborough, Chesborough, his name is, pled guilty to a felony, but in the end, he won't necessarily be. The record will largely reflect he was not a felon if he does what he's supposed to do under the plea agreement. But they had all their rights thrown out, right? They have rights as attorneys and such. And, you know, that system, you know, there was a train about to run them over. And so they played guilty to, large, to charges that, um, in deals that won't result, in, won't result in them going to jail. Well, that Democratic prosecutor got, got, their scal got her scalps down there 
and uh, she forced to what I believe to be innocent people to plead guilty to non-crimes in these political prosecutions. So the rule of law is suffering these weeks. Uh, Congress is out to lunch, quite literally. And the courts aren't doing what they should to police these abuses. So this is why we're going to keep on saying what we can under the law here pursuing our litigation or investigations into these abuses, such as Jack Smith. We've got requests in to figure out what's been going on in Georgia and the collusion there between the Biden administration and that Democratic prosecutor down there. So Judicial Watch is not going to be cowed. And we're going to keep on investigating, litigating, and educating Americans about these wild abuses of law and these attacks on a Republican form of government. And we hope Congress follows our lead. Certainly whoever the new House Speaker is, uh, if you know, he can choose to just keep on funding the machine or throwing a monkey wrench into it and trying to save the Republic. That to me should be the test. That to me should be your concern. You should share your concern with Congress at 202-225-3121. And, uh, you know, and Congress sometimes does some good work. There's news out this week that's important. It seems to me it just is breaking before I started doing this. And we're, uh, it looks like the House impeachment effort has resulted in some banking records showing a direct payment to Joe Biden, James Comer, who's running. So there are three impeachment committees or impeachment inquiry committees in the House right now. Comer's committee, which is the House Reform and Accountability Committee, the Judiciary Committee, which is still run by Jim Jordan, and uh, the House Ways and Means Committee, which is the tax committee run by Congressman Smith, Chairman Smith. And uh, Comer just um, released a video today describing a check $200,000 check that they found to Joe Biden, a very shady looking check. And I'll let Mr. Comer speak for himself. This summer, Joe Biden said, where's the money? Well, we found some. We're still digging into evidence subpoenaed from bank accounts belonging to Hunter Biden, the son of President Joe Biden, and James and Sarah Biden, the brother and sister-in-law of the president. A document that we're releasing today raises new questions about how President Biden personally benefited from his family's shady influence peddling of his last name and their access to him. Bank records obtained by the House Committee on Oversight have revealed a $200,000 direct payment from James and Sarah Biden to Joe Biden in the form of a personal check. Here's some important context about this check we've obtained in our investigation. In 2018, James Biden received $600,000 in loans from AmeriCorps, a financially distressed and failing rural hospital operator. According to bankruptcy court documents, James Biden received these loans, quote, based upon representations that his last name, Biden, could open doors and that he could obtain a large investment from the Middle East based on his political connections, end quote. On March 1, 2018, AmeriCorps wired a $200,000 loan into James and Sarah Biden's personal bank account, not their business bank account. And then on the very same day, James Biden wrote a $200,000 check from this same personal bank account to Joe Biden. James Biden wrote this check to Joe Biden as a, quote, 
loan repayment. AmeriCorps, a distressed company, loaned money to James Biden, who then sent it to Joe Biden. Even if this was a personal loan repayment, it's still troubling that Joe Biden's ability to be paid back by his brother depended on the success of his family's shady financial dealings. Some immediate questions President Biden must answer for the American people. Does he have documents proving he lent such a large sum of money to his brother? And what were the terms of such financial agreement? Did he have similar financial agreements with other family members that led them to make similar large payments to him? And did he know that the same day James Biden wrote him a check for $200,000, James Biden had just received a loan for the exact same amount from business dealings with a company that was in financial distress and failing. The House Oversight Committee will soon announce our next investigative actions and continue to follow the money. The bank records don't end here. There's more to come. Well, isn't that interesting? Right? Now, we don't, I don't normally play congressman talking, but I thought it was educational for you to hear directly from Mr. Comer because you can bet the media is either going to not cover it or try to minimize what uh, Chairman Comer found. And here's a picture of the check. So I don't know about you, but what I heard Mr. Comer describe quite persuasively is a money laundering operation. And one way to launder money is to pretend that there are loans that are outstanding that need to be paid back, and uh, that's the way to get the money to the ultimate beneficiary of the money laundering operation. And that's strongly suggested with this check written by Joe Biden's brother to him for a loan, and the check the, the proceeds came from an operation that involved promises by Biden's brother that there was a Middle Eastern op, uh, business opportunity uh, behind uh, his ability to get the money for Joe. So that's direct evidence of something involving Joe Biden that's certainly worthy not only of scrutiny by Congress, but by criminal investigators. But as you know, bribery doesn't necessarily mean that the person, in, that, that Joe Biden gets money directly. That's one of the big lies about this whole uh, defense the left media is putting out there for Joe Biden and leftists generally. You can benefit from a bribe and in a criminal way if someone says, hey, look, I'm going to take care of your daughter. I'm going to take care of your brother. I'm going to take care of your son and do this in exchange. That's, that's criminal too. I mean, you don't, get, you don't have to get the cash directly to get the benefit, especially for a close family member. In addition, it looked like Joe, and, I, and, and, I, and it's worth repeating, was working for the Chinese with his son, after he was vice president. I would argue while he was vice president, but this is another matter. And he should have been registered as a foreign agent. This foreign money that they were working with and these foreign governments that they were working with, to the degree Joe was an active participant in the business, he should have been registered as a foreign agent. At least under the Justice Department's interpretation 
of the Foreign Agents Registration Act and how it's now been strictly enforced against Republicans. Remember, for the first time really ever under President Trump, they used that to try to get at Trump world. Remember General Flynn, they attacked him on that. So that's, uh, I think, some big news. Where's that, how did Joe get that $200,000 check? What's, what's the deal there? And this is something that you're not gonna hear from the media, as I said, and Judicial Watch already has litigation on these issues. So the great thing about what Congress is doing is that they're asking questions and they're getting documents that Judicial Watch can't get. I mean, we can't send a FOIA to Joe Biden's bank and ask for his banking records. We can't send a FOIA to Hunter Biden's bank and ask for his banking records, but Congress can ask. And to degree, the Justice Department has some of this information and some of the work uh, they're done is subject to FOIA, we can get some information. And uh, we've been in court repeatedly on these issues, and I suspect we're going to be getting more information as time wears on. Uh, but right now we're facing a lot of stonewalling. So maybe that's something else the government can do. They can require the agencies to be forthright about Biden corruption. They can require the Justice Department to do a serious investigation of Joe Biden and certainly defund the fraudulent investigations that are abusing his political opponents, such as President Biden, Trump. Sometimes we get documents without suing, and that's the case in the death investigation of Obama's personal chef, uh, Mr. Campbell, who tragically drowned in the pond near Obama's property in Massachusetts. And uh, a few months ago, you may recall, we received records from the local police department there in Edgartown, Massachusetts, that disclosed for the first time uh, that the Secret Service was involved in the response and the death investigation of Mr. Campbell, who was Obama's personal chef. Now, the bulk of the records, it looked like, were being kept by the Massachusetts State Police. And they finally just yesterday turned over to us uh, several documents uh, that provide additional details about the death, which has raised you know, some concerns by people because he was the employee of a former president and people wanted to know, you know how he died and what the circumstances were. And it may be nothing in the end, but given the way that the information has been kind of dribbled out, it raises additional questions. And it's concerning that we've had to kind of, even though we didn't have to file lawsuits for these documents, but we just had, we had to really fight for them. And so we have these new documents. We received, these are about 40 pages of documents here from the Massachusetts Department of State Police. And they didn't give us everything we wanted, uh, but they gave us a lot of new, a lot of interesting information in these police reports they shared with us. They show that Barack Obama was present at the emergency uh, scene of his chef's drowning. So we now know that for the first time. And we also learn he was present there when a witness is being questioned. And then a second time the next day when the witness is being questioned again, which I thought was kind of odd. I don't know. 
If they didn't know how the person drowned, why was Obama allowed to attend a witness interview? I don't understand that. I could see maybe being in the emergency situation, the police are questioning the witness, but uh, why the next day was Obama hanging around? I, I don't know. But now we know about it. And I don't remember specifically what they said about Obama's presence, but it was clear from the media reporting, or at least that was the impression I had, uh, the Obamas were on another planet when all this happened, right? I'm exaggerating. They literally, the media didn't really say that. But that was the suggestion. They weren't there. Uh, and anyone who raised questions about it was a nut. Well, it turns out he was there. He showed up shortly after the death was reported. And uh, now we know. <laughs> and it was Judicial Watch who figured it out. I know you, a lot of you have questions, the media had questions about it, and it's only Judicial Watch to get got to the bottom of it, or at least near the bottom of it, because there are still some more questions. Because we found, for instance, uh, in these documents, reference to a Secret Service video that is yet to be released. I guess there's a camera, there are cameras all over the property, because uh, President Obama gets Secret Service protection under law as a former president. And the Secret Service, I guess, is diligent in this regard, and they've got cameras on his giant luxury property up there in Massachusetts. The multimillionaire who did quite well for himself after the presidency, but I guess that's another debate. But the camera footage, uh, according to the report, shows the Mr. Campbell and a, someone, a woman who was the eyewitness to the drowning. Uh, enter the water, and then uh, the Secret Service emergency response. So let me read you a little bit of what we uncovered. The documents also show that the Campbell family told police that uh, Mr. Campbell had been taking swimming lessons in 2019, but described his ability as not a great swimmer. Uh, as I said, the drowning occurred in Egertown, in the Egertown Great Pond, um, in approximately six to seven feet, or seven to eight feet of water. And uh, the records show that a female eyewitness, an Obama employee whose name is redacted, told state police that she saw Campbell fall off the paddleboard, began splashing and became extremely panicked, yelling for help, and subsequently went underwater very quickly. By the time she reacted, his paddleboard, the witness said, had disappeared into had by the time she had reached his paddleboard, the witness said, um, the chef had disappeared into the extremely murky water. And here's the specific homicide death report written by a Massachusetts State Trooper um, and who lists some of the details, and I'll go over it with you. And it's quite, it's quite lengthy here, so I probably won't go over all of them. Let me see where it's showed. I'll show you what it looks like on the page. Well, I guess we have pictures of it, right? So you can see the redactions when we post them as I talk about it. But I'll just show you from here. You can see. So all the names are... Now, Obama's name is obviously here, but it's redacted. And I'll, I'll get to that when I get to it. But they withhold the witness's name, Obama's name, it looks like. The names of Secret Service agents. I feel bad for the Secret Service agents because, you know, she, according to this report... She got out of the water, you know, flagged, saw the first agent she could, started yelling, 
and they responded. I guess they have rescue swimmers in the Secret Service, as, as it was termed, and they tried desperately to find the guy. And um, so it's probably traumatic for them as well. On Sunday, July 23rd, at approximately 7.58 p.m., um, someone was notified by the Dukes County Regional Emergency Communications Center of a possible drowning incident that originated from a 911 call at Blank in the town of Edgerton on Martha's Vineyard at 7.46 p.m. So this is about 15 minutes before afterwards. The 911 quarter was caller was identified as Blank. This is the Secret Service person. Uh, he identified himself as a Secret Service uh, special agent. I'm aware that um, Blank in Edgerton is a residence owned by Blank, obviously the Obamas. I was informed that two people on paddle boards had entered the water Edgartown Great Pond from the shore of blank, meaning Obama's home, and one person was unaccounted for after being witnessed in distress going under the water and never resurfacing. So I don't want to read all of this. I want to get to the material that you'd be interested in. Campbell was reported to be wearing a black t-shirt, black shorts, and a black baseball cap at the time he entered the water, I was informed that both Campbell and Blank, this is the witness, their paddle boards had been recovered in separate locations along the shoreline. Uh, at approximately 8.40 p.m., Blank's motorcade, meaning Obama's, arrived at the incident command post, and I was introduced to Blank. I, along with Town Fire Department Chief Schaefer, briefed Blank on the situation thus far, as well as the search and rescue efforts currently underway. So not only did Trump, uh, excuse me, not only did Obama arrive at the scene of where the emergency operations were being conducted in searching for uh, the poor Mr. Campbell, but he was briefed by the Massachusetts State Police official there on the ground and the local police fire chief. Which is, you know, sounds perfectly normal to me. I mean, he's the property owner. I don't blame him from going down to see what happened to his employee. I'm sure they were close to him because he was their personal chef. And, you know, they probably saw him all the time. But I don't know why it took four or five months. What is this, October? This occurred in July, August, September, October, three months to get this information out, and even worse, that we were led to believe that he wasn't anywhere around. So people draw their own conclusions with people, when there's a story put out there that doesn't turn out to be true. A short time later, Blank arrived at the post, and I was introduced to her. I observed that Blank was visibly emotional and was shaking from being cold and wet. In a preliminary conversation I had with Blank, and Blank, she informed me that when she initially observed Campbell fall off his paddleboard, uh, began splashing and became extremely panicked, yelling for help, and subsequently went under water very quickly, Blank stated that she immediately discarded her paddleboard and swam over to Campbell as fast as she could in an attempt to rescue him. Blank explained by the time she reached Campbell's paddleboard, she was too late and they had disappeared into the murky, very low visibility water. Redacted stated that she had then utilized Campbell's paddleboard and returned to the shore um, at Blank to alert the Secret Service and activate emergency help 
as neither she nor Campbell had cellular phones with them at the time of the incident. Blank stated that she left Campbell's paddleboard on the shore and ran to the nearest U.S. Secret Service security post and reported the incident to the first U.S. Secret Service special agent she saw. And, she, and then the name is listed but left blank. So this is Obama. Obama informed me, it says redacted, but it's pretty clear it's Obama, that he and blank, blank, were not present at their residence at the time of the incident and had been out for dinner. Therefore, Campbell would not have been working for the evening. Blank thanked us for our efforts and departed the incident post a little bit short time later. Now, I'm not going to read it from here, but I recall, so the woman who was with Campbell, another staffer for the Obama family, said, you know, they weren't there. It was a light day. She spent time with Campbell that day designing his Instagram page. And then I guess they went out paddleboarding together. I still, we still don't know who that, the name of that witness is. Uh, they withheld it, I don't think for a good reason. Um, a witness in a death investigation, I think typically that name should be public. But it's Obama world and the rules don't apply. As I say here, she explained that on Sunday, uh, she began her day approximately 8 a.m. helping Campbell in the kitchen um, throughout the day and into lunchtime. She said it was a quiet day and she was helping Campbell design his Instagram page. So what happened is they um, began that search and rescue operation, and I'm cutting through a lot of this here. They were unable to locate Mr. Campbell in uh, that evening. So the searches, the, the emergency response began at 8 p.m. From what I recall, they, they searched for about three hours um, at least, and then um, they began the search again the next day and then found him shortly thereafter. Uh, this is the other interesting thing related to Obama. Um, At approximately 7.55 a.m., we arrived at blank, accompanied by the special agent in charge, Murray and Murphy, um, the two names of the special agents in charge. Upon arrival at the residence, we were introduced to blank, invited us, invited us in into his residence, and we were directed into the office of blank, which was to be utilized to conduct the interview. So... Reading this, they show up the next day to continue the investigation. They go to Obama's house. Obama lets them in personally or introduces himself and welcomes them. And they go to an office in his home to continue the interview where she goes on to describe what I said earlier about that day previously being a quiet day. Uh, she explained that at approximately 6.10, she asked Campbell if he wanted to go paddleboarding, to which he agreed. Campbell walked from the residence to the shoreline and obtained two paddleboards and two paddles from the property. She explained that when she and Campbell began paddleboarding, they both remained on their knees while they paddled in, in the pond at one point, she stood up on the paddleboard, and then she saw Campbell attempting to stand up on his board. And then after approximately 30 seconds of standing, 
She observed Campbell lose his balance on the board and throw him full into the water. She yelled to Campbell to grab onto the board in front of him. However, she observed he quickly began to panic while yelling for help. She stated that she left her board again and attempted to swim to help him. And um, it was too late and he went under. And then what happened next is she and Obama, Obama, I think, made a comment here. Or maybe not, other than being there. So she went on a fireboard, a fireboat uh, after that interview. They used sonar to find the body. They found a place that was likely, you know, that they picked up something. They went to that place and found the body nearly immediately. And they didn't find any trauma to the body. Uh, they quickly surmised, at least initially on the scene, that he died accidentally from drowning. And that was the ultimate conclusion. He, it was a, a death from drowning, and it was accidental. And there was no foul play. So the other interesting thing here is that there's Secret Service surveillance video that shows the following, according to the police official. Now, they've asked for the video, but they haven't gotten it as of August or the date of this document. At 6.54, two individuals are observed walking on the boardwalk from the area of the residence towards the shoreline of the pond. 7.40... About an hour later, well, now 6.54, a little less than an hour later, a Secret Service rescue swimmer is observed running from his assigned post towards the shoreline, utilizing his handheld radio. 7.42, another uh, agent blank is observed running from the shoreline towards the area of the command post. The agent is observed running back to the shoreline again. The boat launches at 7.50. Uh, a U.S. Uh, Secret Service vehicle, first responder vehicle, arrives to the area on the shoreline, and uh, the police vehicle arrives quickly at 7.58. So the police were there, too sweet, and 7.59, another vehicle arrives on the shoreline. A request has been made to obtain a copy of the video, but it is pending, and it's released the, uh, as of the time of the release. So what's going on there, right? There's a video. I want to see the video. I think we have a right to see it. The Secret Service is unlikely to give it to us without a fight. And I'm, I'm saying with some high degree of confidence, given our previous work in the area, that we've already asked for the video. So we're going to try to get that video. So what do you think about this? I guess I can't, you can't answer. But you can answer in the below, right? Do you see anything weird here? So what I, my response was, it is concerning that Judicial Watch had the push for several months to find out that Barack Obama was personally involved in the death investigation of his personal chef, Tafari Campbell. Why did it take three months for us to get a straight answer? And I'm not quite sure what he was doing. Um,
in terms of managing the PR response. I don't know why he just didn't say, hey, I was there or something like that. It's all it's very unusual. So I know a lot of people have all these conspiracy theories about what went on, but to me, the truth is always worse than the conspiracy theory. Because, you know, I shouldn't say worse than a conspiracy theory. I think we should just focus on what we have before us, which is a resistance on the part of the Obama operation to be forthcoming initially about what happened. And it, it's up to a separate independent watchdog group to find out about how this um, employee of the former president passed away and the details and the involvement of the former president in the death investigation. So he was providing information to the police. And that's news, right? So make of it what you will. Uh, but Judicial Watch is trying to educate you about that issue. It's of public interest, so it's there. The documents are here. You can evaluate, them evaluate uh, the documents yourself. And there's more information I didn't go through for time's sake here. Uh, but uh, more may be coming. This is a supplemental response, and evidently they're reviewing other documents. So we'll see what else we get. So I hope you are able to see our video or documentary on social media this week. It's on all the social media platforms about the censorship. It's um, the title of the video, the documentary is Censored and Controlled, and it was a four-part documentary on government and social media censorship featuring Senator Eric Schmidt, the man of the week, Congressman Jim Jordan, and journalist Matt Taibbi, who helped expose the details of Elon Musk's Twitter files. And uh, it premiered. I think people really think the video, uh, documentary is high quality. It's about a key issue, which is the big tech, big government, uh, left-wing assault on our First Amendment freedoms, their collusion to censor Americans on issues that are important. And not only that, but the censorship uh, being part in the case of 2020 of an election interference campaign uh, by the deep state in league with big tech operators that helped uh, protect Joe Biden from the consequences of the revelations of the Hunter Biden story, uh, which is why it was all censored. And uh, Elon Musk deserves credit for helping move this story forward in extraordinary ways by releasing information from the internal files of Twitter after he bought it that exposed how the government was working not only hand in glove with Twitter to prep the battlefield for the uh, not only um, the censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop, store, laptop story, but the ongoing relationship between not only Twitter and the feds, but the other big tech platforms in the feds to censor information the deep state didn't want under Trump because they hated Trump, so they were trying to undermine him there. And then, of course, the Biden administration just went full just full steam ahead and embraced fully censorship and demanded and intimidated and threatened uh, Twitter and other entities with um, recriminations and other uh, blowback if they didn't censor American citizens. Really just wild abuse of power. And then Elon Musk for his patriotic troubles uh, gets targeted by the Biden administration in retaliation. Uh, the FTC starts harassing him for daring to blow the whistle here. And Matt Taibbi, the journalist, gets a visit from the Obama IRS. And in this segment of our documentary, uh, Jim Jordan talks about how all that also impacted and obstructed 
and designed to intimidate a witness before his investigation in Congress. So let's go to that clip. Democrat members of the committee asking two journalists to divulge their sources. I mean, it, it just further, further attack on the First Amendment, um, which was uh, troubling. And then the final piece was, first these guys, uh, you know, get named by the FTC in a letter they send to Elon Musk, or they send to Twitter, in these letters that the FTC is sending. They named four journalists personally, two of them are Taibbi and Schellenberger. We just happened, that same week we learned that, we just happened to be calling them in, having them in for a hearing. They come in and testify. Democrats ask them while they're testifying, who are your sources? Another attack on, on, on the First Amendment. And of course, while they're getting asked those kind of questions, the IRS was knocking on Matt Taibbi's door in New Jersey at his home. Isn't that incredible? And um, my colleague here reminds me that Elon Musk tweeted out that, right? He replied to that and, and he, he expressed concern too. Um, and we all should. That, that's your government at work. There's the tweet. Yeah, it's, it's insane, I guess, <laughs> as Elon Musk often aptly and succinctly uh, tweets out, or X's out. What is it? Is it an X now on, on X? But it's a great documentary. It's available all over the Internet and specifically on our website at judicialwatch.org. And we're going to release it again next week in, a, in, a, in one spot one shot. So the entire documentary, which I think the total is probably about 45 minutes. So you can watch the four parts in sections, or you can just watch the full thing next week as well. Uh, but uh, part of what we do, obviously, is educate you. And one way we educate you is by finding out what the government's up to, so you know what the government uh, is doing. Um, certainly, with respect to abusing your rights. And we have another new lawsuit on censorship to follow up our documentary against the Office of Director of National Intelligence, the Biden agency. The Office of Director of National Intelligence is, oh, I think it was created in the days after 9-11, right, I think? And uh, to help organize and keep everyone on the same page. The intelligence agencies, right? You know, you had the CIA, the National Security, the NSA, National Security Administration, uh, FBI, et cetera. And so it became just another bureaucratic center in my view. But like all government bureaucracies, unless they're policed and held to account, they break, break your rights, to be blunt. And the Office of Director of National Intelligence got involved and has been involved and has escalated its role in trying to censor you. And so Judicial Watch sued for records under the Freedom of Information Act. And per usual, this Biden agency doesn't want to follow federal law. And they're withholding the information. And that's why we're in federal court. So there's a federal lawsuit for information about what the deep state intelligence agency, the ODNI, is doing in terms of communicating specifically with Twitter, now known as X, Facebook, TikTok, Reddit. TikTok, the irony there is that TikTok is a Chinese communist firm. Uh, YouTube, Instagram, concerning, quote, foreign influence operations, quote, misinformation, disinformation, which are words that the left has come up with for 
opinions and facts and analyses that they don't like and should be censored. Policies and procedures and strategic plans and working groups established with governmental, non-governmental organizations or private entities. So there's all this collusion going on. So we want to know who they're talking to. And uh, they created this um, under the National Counterterrorism Center or in concert with it, the Foreign Malign Influence Center, which essentially is their new is the Biden administration's new censorship operation. In April 2022, the Department of Homeland Security announced the Dis Disinformation Governance Board. The new agency quickly became a flashpoint of controversy characterized by critics. Me, Judicial Watch, anyone with common sense? As a frontal assault on the First Amendment. In August of 2022, it was disbanded. So it was even too far for the Biden administration. But just a month later in September, the Foreign Malign Influence Center was established under the Office of Director of National Intelligence with essentially the same mission. Quote, as the primary U.S. government organization for analyzing and integrating all intelligence and other reporting possessed or acquired pertaining to foreign malign influence, including election security. So you're going to have the deep state intelligence operations monitoring election security under the guise of controlling, you know, using it, um, suggesting that the best way to do that is by policing misinformation and disinformation. The center has proposed a private public initiative calling for significant monetary and resource investment by the government for enhancing information sharing with the pri private sector entities. So this is exactly what they did with Hunter, right? They said the FBI, they had Hunter's laptop. They were afraid it was going to come out. So they warned Zuckerberg and Twitter, something's coming down the pike and it's going to be Russia disinformation. And so when Hunter's laptop was revealed first by the New York Post, they censored it because they said, oh, well, this is what they were warning us about. And sure enough, uh, after that story was published, you had these uh, 51 uh, national security officials who abused their security clearances to falsely label the Hunter laptop story as Russia disinformation, further providing excuses and pretexts for further censorship and interference in our elections. Now they want to bring that all in-house and be explicit about it through this Office of Director of National Intelligence. The Biden administration apparently believes it can resurrect its domestic thought police inside the heart of America's spy agencies, and no one would notice. Well, Judicial Watch noticed, and we will pursue the facts in spite of the Office of Director of National Intelligence, illegal stonewalling. Illegal stonewalling. So I, you know, I think it's worth repeating. When we're in court over a Freedom of Information Act uh, request, it is because the federal government's breaking the law. Every FOIA lawsuit, and we filed, I would think by a, a thousand by now, maybe not that many, but a lot, hundreds, in the high hundreds, is, is evidence of government misconduct, corruption, and abuse because it's all law-breaking. 
when they're withholding documents to us that they owe us in contrary to law, it's a, it's a violation of the federal rules and federal law that you would, you know, if you broke the rules, if you broke federal law, what would happen to you if there was a criminal sanction? They come after you, right? There's no criminal sanction for breaking federal FOIA law or nothing in the statute. But under the Bush rules, you know, um, excuse me, under the Biden rules, you know, everything potentially is a crime. So that's my long way of saying that there's, a, there's, there's, crim I shouldn't say criminal abuse. There's abuse taking place right now of your civil rights in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and they're hiding information about it. It's a scandal. You know, for instance, is Congress going to defund this? Maybe they should. Will they? Maybe they can use the continuing resolution fight that's coming up in a few weeks to defund it. This is what I'm talking about when I say Congress needs to defund the Biden censors of American citizens. This is a censorship operation. Now, in addition to the documentary we put out, we have a lot of litigation on the censorship. We sued the CIA for similar documents. Well, actually, more specifically about the, their involvement in the um, effort to uh, shut down the Hunter Biden lawsuit. Uh, the Hunter Biden uh, laptop case. Uh, we had a case, it's ongoing, I think it's on appeal now in California over explicit censorship by that state, their Secretary of State's office of me, yours truly, and Judicial Watch, because we were telling the truth about election integrity before the election, and they got YouTube to take down a, a video of one of our weekly updates. So we have uh, other litigation going on as well. Um, I think we have at least 10, 10 lawsuits at this point. I haven't counted them on this censorship apparatus in addition to this great documentary. So we'll see what we get from the Biden censorship operation at the Office of Director of National Intelligence. We don't wait for Congress to figure things out. We act for you, the American people. Try to get the information irrespective of whether or not there's a Speaker of the House of Representatives, right? This, this, this next topic, you're going to probably have to sit down for, maybe have the kids go sit outside because um, it's just awful. We sued the CDC. I mean, the headline kind of just tells you how far we're falling as a society. Judicial Watch sues CDC for records about its guidance on breastfeeding by males. Yes, the CDC, as part of the crazed transgender extremist agenda, provides advice on males breastfeeding slash abusing infants. Now, I, I, I just want to get this out of the way. If I have to explain to you why it's demonic and child abuse for a male to attempt to breastfeed a an infant, then you need to leave. Turn off the video. Don't, bo don't bother watching. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know if I want to talk to you about it. But for the rest of us in, in normal society, we recognize this for the abomination it is. Now, if I could stop it from happening. I would, you know, but I don't know how to. But Judicial Watch knows how to do FOIAs to figure out 
what's going on and at least highlight that the federal government should be should not be in the business of abusing infants or enabling the abuse of infants. The lawsuit was filed after the CDC, a component of the Health and Human Services Department, failed to respond to a July 6, 2023 FOIA for all records reviewed, referenced, or relied upon in the drafting and publishing of updated guidance pertaining to breastfeeding by transgendered individuals on the CDC's website. And then we link to the website. I don't know if we can show you pictures of the website a little bit later. Let me know if that pops up. All records of communication between any office or employee of the CDC and any other individual or notice or individual or entity regarding the updated guidance described in part one of this request. So we want to know, you tell us, CDC, what is the so-called science behind having males abuse infants? Tell us what the science is. How it is, what drugs are out there, what treatments are out there that allow males to somehow start magically producing breast milk in a way that's safe for the child and doesn't harm them in ways that I can't even imagine in terms of, you know, having them breastfeed from males. I just, I, I just can't believe I'm talking about it and the government's promoting it. But this is where this transgender extremism has taken us. The CDC posted on its website advice to, quote, transgender parents who have had breast surgery about breastfeeding or, quote, chest feeding infants. Some transgender, this is a quote from the site. Some transgender parents who have had breast top surgery, top surgery, that's a way of describing mutilating women by tearing their breasts off. may wish to breastfeed or chestfeed, a term used by some transgender and non-binary parents, their infants. Healthcare providers working with these families should be familiar with medical, emotional, and social aspects of gender transitions to provide optimal family-centered care and meet the nutritional needs of infants. Now, of course, the easiest way to tell someone who is mutilating themselves through transgender extremist treatments that uh, it's going to, if you, you, uh, certainly if you're a male, you just can't pretend to be a female and start uh, uh, abusing an infant. Or if you're female and you remove your breast tissue, it obviously could impact your ability to breastfeed. But do we need a federal agency saying that? Uh, but they're not even saying that. I mean, there, there it is. If you have questions about infant nutrition or medication before and while breastfeeding, please consult with your healthcare provider. And then they say you can provide, uh, you can find more information on medications and breastfeeding here at the NIH, transgender, non-binary individuals, non-binary non gendered individuals may give birth and breastfeed or feed at the chest, chest feed. The gender identity is, or expression, let me read it. I can't read it on the screen because I'm done on my glasses. 
The gender identity or expression of transgender individuals is different from their sex at birth. The gender identity of non-binary gendered individuals does not fit neatly into either man or woman. This is, a, this is supposed to be a health entity. And they're coming up with this transgender malarkey, right? What they're saying here is a political statement that has no basis in biological reality. And it's anti-human, it's anti-male, it's anti-female. And in this case, it's anti-child, anti-infant. Some families may have other preference terminology and how for how they feed their babies, such as nursing, chest feeding, or body feeding. There you go. An individual does not need to have uh, given birth to breastfeed or chest feed. So they, they seem to be suggesting that males can, quote, chest feed babies that aren't even their own children, at least biologically. Bill Cassidy, who's a, a doctor in Congress, he's a senator, he's a ranking member of the Senate Health Committee, uh, which oversees uh, HHS. The Democrats, obviously, um, maybe it's not obvious, they've embraced this fully, unfortunately, for their party. Republicans haven't embraced it fully, although there are, I'm sure, a few Republicans who are very nervous about taking on these transgender extremists. And Roger Marshall, Marshall who's another doctor, uh, Senate, senator from Kansas, sent a letter uh, to the CDC director of, for Biden asking for information about the guidance. We're writing to you with serious concern about the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's guidance for biological men who identify as women who wish to breastfeed. CDC's pledge for the American people commits that the basis of all public health decisions will be made on the highest quality scientific data and is uh, that is derived openly and objectively. This guidance, however, seems driven by political considerations rather than science, and the agency has provided no explanation of the reasoning and data behind these recommendations. And then they ask a series of questions, and I'm going to read the questions because they help highlight the insanity, depravity of this, quote, advice or advocacy by the Centers for Disease Control, uh, the abuse of your tax dollars to enable and further the abuse of infants. Did the CDC use any peer-reviewed studies to inform its guidance on transgendered individuals breastfeeding? If so, provide those studies with your response. If not, why not? What data did the CDC rely on that compares the nutritional benefits of biological women breast milk with the breast milk produced by a transgendered individual? What data did the CDC rely on to evaluate the long-term effects of health risk to an infant from being breastfed by a transgendered individual who's received hormonal therapy to transition genders? What does the CDC recommend that healthcare providers help transgender individuals obtain a drug that is not approved for use in the U.S. So evidently there's a drug out there, and I forget the name of it. I think Fox News had a link uh, discussion of it because Fox News initially highlighted this story a few months ago, which generated our FOIA request. And obviously uh, the senator's letter helped generate our FOIA request as well. The, um, there's a drug that's approved for one use that's been repurposed because it supposedly helps males generate something that looks like breast milk or, or allows their glands to develop some sort of secretions that can be termed to be breast milk. But 
I mean, it's 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 kind of like um, quasi science in the sense it's it's more rumor and and what's being said online versus having any scientific basis for it in the form of studies. So, and as the senator suggests, there's been no safety analysis of using the drug for that purpose. And if the drug, for instance, is conveyed to the infant um, as a result of the male ingesting it and transferring it through this faux breastfeeding. The Biden administration, and this is something that I think every senator should answer for in terms of allowing it to be funded, not only just Senators Cassidy and Marshall, who seem to be at least asking the right questions, but are they going to fund this? See, this is what I talk about when you say, why is this being funded? And they say, well, it's hard, you know, so whenever the, someone tells you there's nothing that can't be done, they can defund everything we're talking about here. Protect the babies, defund this craziness at a CDC. Frankly, find out who wrote this and zero out their salaries so they don't work in the government anymore. Protect us. The Biden administration attacks the health and welfare of infants by encouraging biological men to pretend to nurse them. This dangerous transgender extremism is now the subject of a cover-up as the CDC refuses to turn over any records under FOIA to Judicial Watch about its advice to help biological men uh, attempt to, quote, chest feed infants. I tell you, if you would ask me ever, <laughs> forget about five years ago or even a year ago, would Judicial, would Judicial Watch have to file a FOIA lawsuit on the federal government promoting men breastfeeding infants? I mean, I'm sure you would share my view that, that I would say, well, that's crazy, right? But this is where the communists have put us. So we had another FOIA lawsuit uh, on Hungary. Now, Hungary is run by a conservative man, Viktor Orban, and the left hates him. The left hates him because he's conservative. He doesn't buy into a lot of the um, received wisdom and the conventional wisdom of the EU and the left-wing transnational foreign policy establishment on immigration, on transgender extremism, you know, and other basic issues. And so as a result, the Biden administration uses your tax dollars to try to undermine his government. So when you hear the left say they don't like intervent interventions abroad, this is, they're intervening in Hungary to try to get Orban government destroyed anywhere they can. And this includes punishing his uh, government, which is, you know, Hungary is an ally of the United States, um, through um, extra visa requirements they don't require for virtually any other European country. And we sued the State Department for records related to the eligibility of Hungary, Hungarians to participate in a visa waiver program that, as I said, allows many other European countries to allow their citizens to get into the United States easily. Now, if you ask me directly whether I like visa waiver programs generally, I would say no. 
but I don't think you should be applying visa waivers based on whether a government is conservative or not. Uh, the lawsuit was filed after the State Department refused to respond to an August 8th FOIA request sent to their Office of Information, Programs, and Services for all records related to the modifications to the eligibility of citizens of Hungary to participate in the visa waiver program that went into effect on August 1st, 2023. So that's when they changed the rules. This request includes, but is not limited to, all records reviewed, referenced, and relied upon in making the determination to implement the modifications, as well as all related records of communications between any official or employee of the department or state and any other individual or entity. I love this FOIA request because it really puts them in a corner. We want to know what was behind this decision and who you talked to about it. On August 1st, Reuters reported that the United States imposed restrictions for Hungarian passport holders under its visa waiver program on Tuesday. Relations between the two governments have been burdened recently when Budapest's delay of a parliamentary vote on Sweden's NATO accession, accession, accession right? So Sweden was going to come into NATO Hungary had some concerns and delayed it a little bit, but they ultimately approved of it or agreed to it. And curbs on LGBTQ rights by Prime Minister Viktor Orban's nationalist government. What's a nationalist government? I mean, isn't every government that has runs a nation a nationalist government? Do you want to have a government that's anti-nationalist? That's anti-country or the that it's supposed to govern? That's, I guess that's, you know, this is the left's bastardization of language. Citing, quote, vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities, it's been a long day, because Hungary granted citizenship to nearly one million people over the nine-year period of 2011-2020, the State Department announced on its website. Today we notified the government of Hungary that the Electronic System for Travel Authorization validity period for travel by Hungarian passport holders is reduced from two years to one year. Additionally, the validity of uh, an ESTA for Hungarian passport holders will be limited to single use. So it's a big restriction on the ability of Hungarians to travel here. And it's ironic that the crazed Biden administration that lets in millions of aliens and sh literally ships them throughout the United States is concerned that Hungary, Hungary is granted too many citizenship, um, made too many people citizens over the last 10 years or so. The, 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 it's clear it's retaliation, not a concern for national security. The leftists running the Biden administration want to punish Hungary because they hate Viktor Orban, Hungary's conservative prime minister. And they try, and even as they try to bully over Hungary over immigration, the Biden administration continues to allow millions of illegal aliens to come unhindered into the United States. So that's where we stand. We attack those who are good friends and allies, but who happen to be conservative. We undermine our own nation. We're attacking our infants. The Biden administration is trying to jail American citizens who dared exercise their First Amendment freedoms. They're censoring Americans. Uh, Republicans in the House don't want to do much in the way of principled opposition to any of this. So 
Judicial Watch will do what it can to expose the truth about what's going on with your support. You can support our work at judicialwatch.org directly through a donation, and obviously support our work by looking at the information and the lawsuits that we've put out there and share them with the American people, your friends, your colleagues, members of your church, your family, and, uh, you know, because we have a country to save, right? We have a country to save. It's under attack. Our rule of law is under attack. A Republican form of government's under attack. And I don't know about you, uh, but I'm not going to wait for Congress to act. I'm not going to wait for the presidency to change. I'm going to figure out ways to do what we can here at Judicial Watch to protect the republic. And I hope you do, too, either by supporting Judicial Watch or otherwise becoming active in the public policy process to affect change and to protect our nation from those who would destroy that. So with that said, I'll see you here next week on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.